everybody and welcome back to Chronicles of Curiosity. My name is Mason and as always I'm joined by my lovely co-host. Oh, I'm lovely? <laughs> this Thank week you, you are, yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, I'm Katie, hi. <laughs> uh, this week we're talking about the Amityville murders. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, this is one. Oh boy. This is one that I've wanted to cover for a while. And yeah, it's a big one. I, I just gotta say right off the top before we get into the episode here, I have only seen the 2000s remake with ryan reynolds i have also only seen that one because we watched it together it's i've seen it a couple times and it's it's okay but i know it's a horror fans faux pas to not have seen the original but the poorly relatively poorly done (laughs) 2000s version so it's on my list guys i'm sorry i have so we'll get to it we'll get to it the list is long okay the list is long and the nights are short i I don't know if i've actually talked about this on the podcast but i do have a list of horror movies that i've seen going all the way back to like probably 2015 or 2016 it's a long 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 list yeah long list it's a really long list but the reason i started it one so that i could keep track of movies that i've watched but also to jot down movies that i want to watch in the future yeah um so i have a i have like six or seven movies on my list right now that i want to watch which i never let it get that long i usually try and knock them off mine is so long yeah but this is why i don't watch traditional like shows and media and whatnot because i can't even find the time to watch a two-hour movie that i want to watch that's neither here nor there we're getting way off topic yep before we even start uh is there anything you've been curious about this week i have been thinking about fruit snacks and do you want to know why that is why I picked up some red raspberry gummies at the grocery store earlier on my lunch break. And these are just regular gummies, by the They're way. These gummies. aren't quote unquote gummies. Oh, no. No, these are. I bought them at a grocery store. They are basically fruit snacks. Yeah. And what do you think is the weirdest flavor of gummy? Are you asking me? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say like a pomegranate gummy. Why is it weird? Um, have you ever had one? I don't think so. That's pretty weird. Well, wouldn't that just be unique? Um, unique. Yeah weird would you try a dill pickle flavored gummy no well yeah i would i would you try absolutely one. would you know me i would try like yeah. almost anything but now here's a separate question i probably wouldn't buy them do you consider something like jelly beans to fall under gummy or are they just their own thing so i think if you're categorizing sugary treats candy specifically you either put it into gummy uh-huh. or chocolate right? typically so if yeah. you're if you're categorizing it that way, yeah, it would fall into gummy, but I wouldn't consider it a gummy candy. No, no, I would consider gummies like peach rings, gummy worms, gummy bears, fruit I think, snacks. I think the better way to classify it would be chocolate, because chocolate really does like cover all your bases yeah. on that end, like chocolate bars, chocolate, you know, whatever, chocolate covered things. But on the other side of it, instead of gummy, I would also have uh, just like a fruit flavor. Just a general, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, most most gummy flavored things are fruit based, mm-hmm. and if yeah. they're not, they're probably like one of the arbitrary, like blue raspberry. Obviously, not a real thing. It's not. It's probably it's probably really, something like it's that. It's really so good. It's very yeah. very good. Yeah, I don't care that it was made in a lab. Yeah, I don't care at all. It tastes delicious, and it turns yeah. my tongue blue. What more could I want? You know what else was made in a lab? Huh? Crystal meth. And that's great, too. No, I'm just You've been curious about anything this week? <laughs> um, I have been curious. Well, I haven't been curious. It's been something that I've been enamored with. Oh. And I, I was going back and forth on whether or not I wanted to talk about it. Okay. I don't know how much crossover there is with our listeners and this topic, but I have been playing the new Zelda. Mm. 
um, so much. I'm up to like, I think I'm up to a hundred hours and it's only been out for three weeks or three and a half weeks. Oh my gosh. Uh, it is, the name of the game is Tears of the Kingdom, and it's a sequel to Breath of the Wild, which came out in 2017, I want to say, 2018 maybe. It's an incredible game, and if you've never played a Zelda game, this is a great one to start, because it is so expansive, and it is so welcoming for a new player, um, because there's no, you start the game and there's no real instruction, you, you're kind of left to your own devices, you play the game how you want to play the game. Hmm. Um, you learn how you want to learn within the game. So like you can look things up online, but the fun is exploring and figuring things out. I came across something in the game that I probably should have found within the first two hours, but instead I'm, I'm 90 hours in, I was 90 Mm. hours in and I just gained an ability that was like very rudimentary and I should have had, but that's like, there's stories like that all over the internet Mm -hmm. with this game and with Breath of the Wild. Yeah. So it's, um... Uh, it's probably my number two favorite game of all time. Wow. Yeah, which is saying a lot, and it's only been out for like a month. Wow. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Sure. I don't really like when games are expansive like that, Mm -hmm. and you can just free play, because I get overwhelmed. I need to have a task. You know, I uh, am not going to push back on that, because I'm very, very similar. Hmm. But there's something about this game that is so immensely satisfying with every ability that you gain every upgrade that you gain every you know whatever that you pick up everything that you collect it's so it scratches my brain in such a way (laughs) in such a way that i've i almost like shake like hazel does yeah so i wasn't really expecting to talk about this but i struggle with seasonal depression as um, you know, mm, I go on a limb a and say most people do. do. A lot of people myself do. Myself included. Um, especially living where we live, where in the wintertime it gets very, very dark and very cold for yeah. months and months and Yeah, months winter lasts end. like four. Well, it typically lasts from like November until April or May. Yeah. Um, and that's being generous. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get snow in October and we'll get snow in May. May. <laughs> We've um, had massive snowstorms in May. Oh, so yeah, it's a yeah. little bit depresso espresso. Yep. Um, but anyway, that's uh, so it was uh, winter of, I, I want to say it was 2018, and I was really having a hard time. Um, I was in college at the time, and my, I don't know, my routine structure probably wasn't that great. You know how things go when you're in a change, changing portion of your life, mm-hmm. uh, transition portion. I was feeling pretty depressed and pretty anxious. And so I started playing this game in, I think it was late December of that year. Uh, and I played it throughout that entire winter. I played it December, January, February, March, and I think I finished it in April or May. And I have never experienced, to this day, I've never experienced a portion of time where I had so such little seasonal affective what, disorder. What game was this, though? This was Breath of the Wild. This was the, oh. this was the game before Tears of the Kingdom, the one okay. that I'm talking about today. And... Uh, there's something to be said about that. Yeah. The game is beautiful and it's you're mostly outdoors and it's green and it's luscious and mm-hmm. it looks so nice and you can really just escape into it yeah. for a, you know, a period of time while you're playing it. Yeah, and, uh, that's so, good. Yeah, so nothing wrong with that Nothing, Nothing really is like captured in that same way and it's... It's the summertime here. Um, so supposed to be. It's not, it's not really... It's not really taking care of that portion of 
my life you know mm-hmm. it's not helping that portion but it's still it's such a good game and that's yeah. all i have to say about it it sparks joy for you it does there's it does. nothing wrong with that all right i'm still on the ruth Ware train in case anyone is wondering yeah um two weeks ago yeah Hey, that's okay. It's she's good. got a, she got good. quite a few books. Um, more I than finished, I thought. I finished The Lion Game. I didn't really like it. I finished In a Dark Dark Wood. It was so fucking good. And I just started The Death of Mrs. Westaway. Don't worry. The Woman in Cabin 10 and The Turn of the Key and The It Girl are somewhere next. The Woman in Ca- Cabin 10 and The Turn of the Key are like some of her most the popular the is, books. is very, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, uh, the Turn of the Key. I might be completely off base here, but I, I want to say that was an... Maybe Agatha Christie, or no Shirley Jackson, possibly. Um, it was an. I want to say it was based off an older novel. I have no idea. Um, but anyway, neither here nor there. I haven't read the descriptions of any of the books that I haven't read yet. I just pick one based on convenience and then start it, and then remember to read the description. Well, you you do already know that you're going to be reading them all, so yeah. I guess you don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you don't have I'll to find look out into it there. too much. Yeah. All right. We'd like to remind everyone to give us a follow on social media at Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast on Instagram and Chronicles of Curiosity Pod on TikTok, if you haven't already. Uh, And also, please consider giving us a follow on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And if you're feeling extra generous, we would not say no to a sweet little review from you, friendly folks. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Enough talk. Let's uh, get to some murders. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Yeah. Okay. So we're not really... Sorry. We're not really starting here hitting the ground running because when I was researching the Amityville house, I went to the Wikipedia page Mm -hmm. and I got, which I always do, to get a little high level overview. Yep. Um, I kind of... Wikipedia is really good about breaking down the article into... Um, relevant sections yes without giving like every little detail yeah so those sections are what i use to decide what i want to focus on within an episode like create an outline basically yeah yeah so i was scrolling through the amityville uh horror uh the novel because it was a novel before it was a movie didn't know that yep and i was scrolling through the novel's wikipedia page and there was a section of the article titled works based on the amityville haunting um and i was expecting like three or four movies Obviously, I knew about the original from 1979, and I knew about the 2000s remake with Ryan Reynolds, and I figured there was probably, like, a couple more bad spinoffs or bad knockoffs or maybe some, like, direct-to-video sequels, Mm -hmm. you know? Kind of horror movies are notorious for that. Yes. Um, There are more than 40 Amityville property movies or videos that have been made since... The original in 1979. That's a lot. Yeah, and I wanted to read off some of my favorites because mm-hmm. I had never heard of these, and now I, I'm gonna have. They're going on my horror movie list. Okay, just for pure entertainment. Uh, we have the Amityville Moon, mm-hmm. which I don't really know what that means. Me either. Um, the Amityville Cult, Amityville in Space. Oh Lord. Amityville Gas Chamber. Oh. And my personal favorite, Amityville in the Hood. Nice. <laughs> um, and then also, I, I where can I rent these? Um, probably, uh, probably Amazon Prime. They yeah, have all Prime the video. Yeah, that's where I go for all my horror movies when I have mm-hmm. to rent like the really obscure ones that I want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this was a release, a uh, 2020 release. The movie was titled Amityville Vibrator. Oh my god! And I can't confirm this because I I cannot confirm this because I did not check. 
but I'm like 99% sure it's a porn parody. Oh, like almost certain. Dear. Oh dear. Yeah, oh, if anybody no. wants to okay. venture out and check out Amityville Vibrator, tread lightly, I guess. Just I mean, be careful out there, folks. It's a dangerous world. I mean, send me the research you find. Oh, I, you know, there's certain things that. Yeah, I mean, we are curious because what else could it mean? Exactly. On to the story. All right. So anyway, um, there has been, of course, a lot of media about this house, but why? If you grew up in the 70s or 80s, you almost definitely know. Uh, at least some of the story, if not the whole story. But for people like Katie and myself, um, who grew up a little bit later in the 90s, uh, and also grew up pretty sheltered, uh, you might not know the details of the haunting, like myself. So I wanted to go through and put together a clear, kind of chronological explanation of what happened in the Amityville house, Mm -hmm. and why so many people still talk about it even to this day. Okay. Uh, So let's get to some background information. Hit me with it. Amityville, New York, is a town of about 9,500 people located on Long Island in the sort of south and central area portion of it. It's on the on the bay. Okay. Uh, the town name really is Amityville. And even though it's like for us, it's synonymous with horror. It's also just a like mostly it's sleepy town okay. that people do call home. All right. Um, I say that because many, if not most residents of Amityville, do not like being associated with this story at all. If you go there, you're not going to find themed restaurants like you would in Roswell, New Mexico, or specialty shops like you would in Salem, Massachusetts, and they haven't started their own TikTok account like the owners of The Conjuring House. Yeah. In fact, the current owners of the home dislike the attention so much that they even went as far as to blur out the house from Google Street View. If you don't believe me, the address is 112 Ocean Avenue, and they would not like me saying that, um, but that's the address. We're going to get sued. Um, why do I mention this? Because I love spooky tourism. Yes, I do too. I really like when they lean into the spook. Yeah, yeah. And I've always wanted to visit Amityville for that reason. I've just not had, not, I just haven't had any reason to. Yeah. So I, I haven't been passing through town. I haven't been passing through Long Island. No, I've literally never been. Um, so, and also, there's nothing in Amityville to see or do associated in any way with the Amityville movies or book. Yeah, it's literally just the house. It's just the house. And if I'm pretty sure if you roll up to the house, the, you will be shooed away if you stop and take pictures. Shooed, yes. They if, will not want you there. If you're, gonna, if you're in the area and you're going to visit this house, drive by. Take some photos as you're driving by, but do not make it look like you are there for any reason other than yeah. just driving down the street. Doesn't sound like they would appreciate that, so be respectful. Yeah. So they don't want anything to do with the the story. So for now, all we're left with is the story, and it's also a good one. So let's begin. Ronald Big Ronnie nice. DeFeo Sr. and Louise. Hey, Big Ronnie. <laughs> it's Big Ronnie here. <laughs> and Louis or Louise, I'm guessing it's Louise DeFeo were the parents of four children, Ronald Jr., known as Butch, oh. Dawn, Allison, and Mark. Okay. Ronald Sr. was a successful car salesman and provided a comfortable lifestyle for his family. This is Big Ronnie? This is Big Ronnie. Big Ronnie. On the evening of November 13th, 1974, a horrifying tragedy unfolded within the DeFeo household. Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr., aged 23 at the time, systematically shot and killed his entire family while they were asleep. The victims were Ronald Sr., Big Ronnie, uh, Luis, Dawn, who was 18 at the time, Allison, who was 13 at the time, uh, Mark, who was 12 at the time, and another boy named John Matthew, who was only 9 at the time. And you said at the time of the shooting, 
Butch Ronnie Jr. was 23? He was 23 at the time. Okay. Uh, the murders occurred early in the morning hours, um, sometime between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., also known as the witching Whoa. hour. <laughs> After the killings, Butch concocted a story about mob hitmen being responsible for the murders. However, yeah, Katie's giving me a funny look. I'm giving you a look that says, get fucked. <laughs> However, inconsistencies in his account raised suspicion among the authorities. I mean, yeah. Uh, the following day, Butch visited a local bar and confided in a friend about the killings, who thankfully, the friend promptly alerted the police. Oh, uh, yeah. When the police arrived at the DeFeo residence, they discovered the horrific and tragic scene and thankfully very quickly arrested Butch. During his interrogation, Butch confessed to killing his entire family. He there wasn't much question there. Right. He claimed that he had committed the murders because he had heard voices plotting against him and that the voices had compelled him to carry out the heinous act. Mm. More on that. Yeah. Uh, Butch's trial began in October 1975, and his defense team presented an insanity plea. I How think that's quite possibly... The correct option. Yeah, I mean, if you're on if you're on his defense team, what other option uh, do you have at that point? Yeah. However, the defense strategy failed, and Butch was convicted of six counts of second degree murder. In November of 1975, he was sentenced to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life in prison. Damn. And if you so do the math, it doesn't matter if he gets the minimum sentence on all six. That's still 150 years in prison. Okay. Yeah. Because concurrent means they're like back to back. So he finishes one and then on to the next. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And 25 years was the minimum and life was the max. Well, so it doesn't, friend, it doesn't matter. You're I mean, yeah. Um, and because you should be. <laughs> so, of course, the story is tragic, as all domestic murder cases are. Right. But there is another layer to this story that I believe is responsible for so much media attention around the murders. Okay. That is the voices that Ronald DeFeo Jr. reported hearing before the murders. Yes. So, according to his statements, these voices compelled him to commit the heinous act. Um, Butch's initial defense strategy during the trial was to argue that he was not in control of his actions and that he was driven to commit the murders due to his mental state. Mm. He claimed not that he was insane from a typical malady or a typical ailment. He claimed that the voices he heard were plotting against him and that they commanded him to carry out these killings. Okay. However, the validity of Butch's claims regarding the voices has been a subject of debate, debate and skepticism. Some experts have suggested that his story about the voices was an attempt to present an insanity defense and mitigate his responsibility for the murders. Okay, that's the obvious, right? Yes. That's why people would say he's right. lying, of right. course. Others have speculated that Butch might have been under the influence of drugs or experiencing severe psychological distress, okay. contributing to his delusions. So that's a much more based in reality explanation here. So like if something was actually wrong, I mean, he could have just not been in a right state and then combine that with drugs or alcohol or, or whatever else. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But it doesn't matter because ultimately the jury did not accept Butch's claims of hearing voices as a legitimate defense. He was found guilty of the murders and convicted, like I had said, of six accounts of second-degree murder. 
Since then, Butch has given varying accounts of the events and his motivations, which further complicates the understanding of the voices he claims to have heard. Yeah, if he's telling 14 different stories, nobody actually knows what happened. Right. And... Except for him. At this point, I was curious, like, all the all the sources that I had found, especially of the court case and the, and the court documents... None of them mention anything about what the voices were actually saying or told him to do or, or whatnot beyond just kill your family. Yeah, but there was never, like, definitive what they were saying. Right. Well, according to his account over the years, the voices basically had three effects on him. So whatever he said he heard the voices say to him, they would fall pretty much into these three categories. So we have, uh, he asserted that the voices were conspiring against him. Uh, he believed that they were discussing plans to harm or kill him and also his family. Well, why would they include him in that discussion? Well, according to his accounts, he believed that he had to take preventive, preventative action to protect himself. That if he did not kill his family, he would not be spared. Okay. He also, the second category here, he also stated that the voices ordered him to carry out the murders of his own family members. He claims that he was... Uh, not influenced, but totally under the voice's control and had no choice but to obey their commandments. So right away we see some pretty contradictory statements. Yep. One, that he did it intentionally to protect himself. Right. And two, that he had no control control in the matter and the voices had completely taken him over. Okay. The last, okay. The last aspect here, and in certain versions of this story, um, Butch described the voices as tormenting him, taunting him with insults, threats, and demeaning remarks. He claimed that the constant barrage of these voices drove him so insane that he committed these violent acts. To make them stop? I don't know. I, I don't know the connection here. Um, hmm. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Interesting. So there's a little bit more here, though. It goes a little bit deeper. Deeper, uh, deeper. deeper, deeper. During Ronald Butch DeFeo's Jr.'s trial, that's a mouthful, <laughs> his defense team attempted to argue that he suffered from a legitimate mental illness. Um, they cited schizophrenia. I was thinking that. Which they believed contributed to his actions. So this is after the insanity plea was shot down. Okay. He said, okay, maybe he's not insane in a non-clinical sense maybe he really does have schizophrenia yeah maybe he's just un unwell yeah however the experts testified that he did not show any signs of hallucinations delusions or disorganized thinking which are commonly associated with the disorder yep instead the court psychiatrist diagnosed butch with antisocial personality disorder Okay. Yeah, this diagnosis indicated that he exhibited a persistent pattern of disregarding and violating the rights of others, oh. as well as a lack of empathy or remorse for his actions. Uh-oh. It's not looking good. It's not looking good, and, you know, he's... He is where he is. I don't know if he, he's passed away. I don't know if he's still in prison. I didn't, I didn't look that up, I'll be honest, but um, I personally think that if the story ended here, there would be we would not hear about this this would be a little yeah. bit little tidbit of true crime history um people would talk about the long island murders or whatever mm -hmm. i don't know yeah that would be the end of the story that, that would be the end of it but the story does not end here we are only halfway through Ooh, okay so in december of 1975 george and kathleen lutz along with kathleen's three children from a previous marriage daniel christopher and melissa moved into the house at 112 Ocean Avenue. 
The Lutz family was aware of the house's dark history as the site of the DeFeo murderers, but they decided to purchase it at a significantly reduced price due to the notoriety of the property. Mm-hmm. I get it. I would probably do it. So contrary to what the movies say, uh, they were fully aware of what had happened here. Okay. Yeah. This was not a surprise to them. No, they were not going in blind. Um, they weren't the wealthiest in the world. This part wasn't was a little bit played up that how they like really couldn't afford the house and they but it was above their it would have been way above their price range if the murders had not taken place. They saw this as an opportunity to kind of sweep it up and take over the house. Yeah, because it was a beautiful house. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a gorgeous house, which is why I looked it up on Street View. Yeah. But well, you can of course you can find pictures online. Was um, it on Zillow? No, it's because it's not for sale currently. I'll get into the current owners. Okay. Kind of. Um, So shortly after moving in, the Lutz family claimed to experience a series of paranormal phenomena that led them to believe the house was haunted, like, right away. This was, like, day one. Oh, boy. They reported various uh, objects moving around unexplained. Um, They included strange odors, and they, quote, smelled like dead meat or dead flesh. Yuck. Um, unexplained cold spots, levitating objects, and other just generally unsettling sounds, creaks, moans, wails. I don't like that. They also claimed to have witnessed apparitions and even alleged physical contact with unseen entities. And this is all, like, right at the beginning. This is all, like, yeah, first couple days, like, right when they move in, the realtor has barely left the driveway, and they are already experiencing this. So during their brief stay in the house, which lasted only 28 days, Jeez. can you imagine going from signing the mortgage, from like like visiting the house, doing a walkthrough, yeah. signing the mortgage, moving all of your stuff in? I mean, you have four kids yep. and two adults, and you only last 28 days. To people who are like staunch skeptics of the supernatural, I would point them to this story. Not, I raise you Amityville. Yeah, not for the occurrences that we're going to get into here. If you don't believe them, then you don't believe them. Right. But something caused this completely normal family of six to up and leave after 28 days in a, yeah. in their dream house. Yeah. So wow. the the Lutz family contacted a paranormal investigator named, like pretty pretty much right away, named Hans Holzer, uh, and shared their experiences with him. Holzer conducted an investigation and concluded that the house was indeed haunted. He basically came in and said, yeah, it's haunted. Mm -hmm. And then uh, give me my $100 and I'm I'm, Mm -hmm. out of here. Yeah. So the Lutz family also sought assistance from a Catholic priest, Father Ralph Picoro. I'm sorry, you guys. um, Who allegedly... Leave him alone. (laughs) Who allegedly performed a blessing on the home, but later claimed to have been overwhelmed by supernatural forces during the ritual. Oh... In January 1976, the Lutz family decided to leave the house abruptly, citing their ongoing paranormal activity as the primary reason for their departure. They claimed that the intensity and malevolence of the hauntings had become so unbearable that they felt their lives were in danger. Wow. And this is where my knowledge cut off regarding the Lutz family. This is where my knowledge really cuts off. Okay. Um, so I knew they bought the house and moved out shortly after, but I didn't know like what exactly they experienced. So this is where I really dug into things and yeah, yeah was pulling less from basic knowledge and more into the specifics. Okay. Educate me. So while living in the house for all of 28 days, they reported all of the usual and expected effects of a haunted home, including what I already mentioned, 
odors, cold spots, unexplained sounds, disembodied voices, whispers, footsteps, banging noises that were not attributed to any logical source. Okay. These are run-of-the-mill hauntings. Yeah. Um, and these were really only a few of the experiences they would have. Uh, and to be honest, these experiences were the least worrying for the family. They didn't. Uh-huh. They didn't necessarily care about the whispers or. The did, whispers would. I would. I can't. That is. Um, I was reading an no. account of of um, one of the Lutz children that said that it sounded like the the creaking that they would hear and the footsteps that they would hear weren't like two footsteps in a row. Like they were a. Uh, uh, like almost calculated and rhythmic, like stepping, like like somebody one, somebody with boots. Two, yeah, that's creepy. And they would get louder as they felt the entity was approaching. It's all classic, terrifying stuff. Yeah. Now I have a question. Mm-hmm. Do you think that like slow, um, slow paced, like kind of rhythmic footsteps would be creepier, or running? I think the slow ones would be creepier because it would give you more yeah. time to kind of think about like what it could be. Like and... you think the anticipation is what would scare you the most? Yeah. 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 If I heard something running at me, I would assume first off, I would assume I would immediately pee myself. <laughs> immediately pee myself. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how to, I would respond in that situation. It's one of those things that Not you really well. just, you kind of don't know until you're in it. Yeah. I don't know? really want to be in it. Maybe someday we'll be so lucky. Oh, speak other, for yourself. <laughs> other experiences they would have included an almost constant presence of apparitions and shadow figures moving around the house. Members of the family later described the figures as, quote, dark, menacing, and usually usually taking on some rough human form. Okay. But it goes beyond just seeing figures. The Lutz family also reported to have experienced pushing and shoving. So feeling sudden and forceful impacts as if someone or something intentionally exerted pressure on their bodies. I don't like that at all. Basically, they they felt as if somebody really grabbed them. It isn't yeah, like, or like you pushed know, or shoved them. Yeah, this isn't, oh, maybe you tripped and thought that somebody pushed yeah, you. Yeah, no, was like, like you, you felt something. I hate that. You feel pressure on your back. You feel a handprint on your back, somebody pushing you, and you look back and there's nothing there. I don't like that. Your muscles will tense like somebody's grabbing your shoulder, but there's oh. nothing. Additionally, they alleged instances of being slapped or having their hair pulled by invisible hands. Well, that's just rude. Some people have to pay for that. Jeez. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sensations of clothes or bo- clothing pieces or bodies being tugged or pulled. They also experienced moments of bed levitation oh. or floating in midair. So where they would wake up in the night. Like an exorcism. Would, mm-hmm, yeah, where they oh. would wake up in the night and they would feel like they were levitating. I don't know how I'd react to that. Um, Not great, I'm going to guess. Yeah. The I f- mean, I don't react well when you start snoring in the night. So I don't think being don't woken think up being in that levitated. particular endeavor would go well we're gonna get a like a reclining bed and i'm gonna put you up into an upright position in the middle of the night and you're gonna oh. think you're being possessed oh my gosh <laughs> um the the family members described feeling as if they were being restrained or held down by an unseen force hate it making movement difficult i'm kind of thinking sleep paralysis mm-hmm. um and the last statement about feeling like you're being held down is really the scariest to me yeah. So I imagine it's the same feeling as being chased by someone 
or something in a nightmare, but feeling like you're stuck. Yep. Everybody's had that experience and it's horrible. You wake up sweating and like panicking. And, yeah. And, and you don't know what's real and what's not. Right. And the way that the family described this as is like you're almost stuck in a quicksand. Oh. You're trying to move, but you, something is just holding you. I don't care for that. As if all of this wasn't enough, the family also experienced some specific, bizarre, and terrifying things. So one of the scariest, in my opinion, um, involves the youngest of the Lutz children, Melissa. Um, she's also commonly referred to as Missy by okay. the families and by most people, so I will just be referring to her as Missy. Okay. Uh, so Missy had an imaginary friend who she, she named Jody. Oh. According to Missy, Jody would appear as various entities, including a little girl, an angel, and a pig. Mm. This isn't particularly scary in and of itself. Um, you know, kids have imaginary friends. Yeah. Um, but what makes this actually terrifying is Missy's explanation of her imaginary friend. So according to Missy, Jody could transform into a demonic figure when angered or when Missy did not do what Jody instructed. Oh, don't like that. Yeah. Additionally, Missy su- suggested that the entity would talk to her, quote, in her head. And while, you know, usually that's innocent, it would occasionally tell her to do things that she, quote, did not feel was right or, quote, things that she did not want to do. Oh. So you have this weird dynamic of a kid who has an imaginary friend or that's what the parents think. Yeah. So the family thinks. Right. But instead of playing with the imaginary friend on swing sets or whatnot, you have Missy going to her mother and saying, Mommy, I hear these voices. My imaginary friend is talking to me in my head and he's telling me to do He's like telling me to harm myself. Or, or, yeah. Oh, my. Uh, that's not a great moment as a parent, I'm no, sure. No, no. So, I mean, you know, again, imaginary friends with children is not surprising or unusual, but you can't deny the spooky connection between Ronald DeFeo's allegations of hearing voices and Missy's very similar experiences. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about the Red Room. Have you heard of this? No. So not long after moving in, the Lutz discovered something that would unsettle uh, just about anyone. They discovered a hidden room in the basement, which they referred to as the Red Room, due to its distinctive red painted walls. Okay. The discovery of this hidden chamber added to the growing sense of unease and fear that uh, kind of was circling around the family at this time. Um, so just kind of to set the stage you have within a week or two, with all these things happening, your daughter who has never exhibited signs of schizophrenia or, or even having an imaginary friend yeah. yeah um it's saying that she's hearing voices telling her to do things that she doesn't want to do or things that she doesn't feel is right or, or yeah. things that would harm her right and you have all these other aspects the footsteps whispers being tugged feeling like you're being held back and then you also find a room that's closed off in your own basement and this is a, you know, I don't know how old the house is, but this is a old New England style basement. Oh. This is not a finished basement with a pool table. No. Yeah. So the, the red room was described by the Lutz as a small windowless space with a sinister atmosphere. Mm. It's said to have emitted a negative energy and became a focal point for the paranormal activity experienced by the Lutz family. 
Oh. The room seemed to have a profound effect on their mental well-being, intensifying their feelings of dread and discomfort anytime they were near the room or thought about the room. Oh, man. Yeah. So according to their accounts, the Red Room became a site of haunting phenomena and eerie occurrences. The Lutz family claimed that the room served as a, quote, gateway or portal for malevolent forces within oh. the house. Oh, I don't like that. Yes. It was believed to be, by them, to be a source of dark energy that influenced the supernatural phenomena that they were experiencing at the time. According to some accounts, uh, the room was completely empty, and according to other accounts, the room contained occult symbols and paraphernalia left by much older occupants of the home. Okay, so we don't really know other than it was red and didn't have windows. Yes, and we also know that it did not belong to the DeFeos. So whatever was influencing, if something was in there influencing the Lutz family, likely the same the same paranormal phenomena that was influencing the DeFeos. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the version of the story the novel and movies use, you know, with the, the occult mm-hmm. symbol. But it, it, it's probably just because it's more interesting and adds to the horror. Right. Um, the room was indeed a hidden space in the basement, um, but there's no real, there's no real firsthand evidence. Nobody went down to the room. So we're really relying on the, the word of the Lutz. So it's mm. it's ca- kind of similar to the Conjuring families that lived in the house. It's really up to, to what you believe okay. their word. Okay. Um, but regardless of what was actually in the Red Room, I cannot imagine how scary it is to find a secret space in your house, let alone yeah. the basement. Yeah. Um, and why watched. is it painted red? Yeah, right? I know. We watched Barbarian like a couple months ago. Oh my god! And I can't stop thinking of that. I can't stop thinking... I don't thinking... want to talk about that movie at all. <laughs> I can't stop thinking of like Parasite. Um, that one was a good movie. It was a good movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah, but there's so many movies. There's so many horror-influenced properties uh, that have something to do with like a secret room or, or hidden hidden room and yeah. basements in general. And you combine them all and you combine the history of the house and the, what the what the Lutzes were experiencing around this. And mm-hmm. this just, like, this would set me off. Yeah. And apparently it did to them, too. Ultimately, all these factors, including disembodied voices and physical contact, the psychological distress the children were under due to the paranormal activity, and a general all-encompassing sense of dread, constant sense of dread, the Lutz family just decided to move out, just yeah. to up and move. I don't blame them. Um, I also read a report that the family members were experiencing uh, physical sickness as well they felt fatigued they felt you know they just felt bad okay just you know when you can feel something it's just yeah something's just not right yeah and i I think there's definitely something to be said about that um and and i I also just kind of wanted to know a few other things here before we we conclude um the family the lutzes specifically had significant financial incentive to stay in the house so they they purchased the house for more than they initially budgeted for and they knew they would not make a profit if they sold the house. And they didn't. Uh, in addition to that, they really did want to make it work. They loved the house itself, and it was an incredible piece of property that they knew would appreciate in value. Um, however, despite all this, they still couldn't make it work. Wow. They still left out of fear. So, any, so again, to anyone who is a complete skeptic, I would kind of point you to this. Yeah. But um, it does make me wonder about the family that lives there now. Well... This, this does bring us to the end of our story this week, and, and I have in my notes here that I, I would usually tell you about the current owners and yeah. their experiences, just to kind of bring you up to the current, bring you up know, to current present date. Uh, there is nothing notable. So I believe it's wow. because the current owners have kept, kept such a 
closed door on the whole story. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I was mentioning at the beginning, they want nothing to do with this in any shape or form. Nothing at all. That's so boring. Boring, and I'm sure there's other experiences that people have had in that house, and I want to hear about them. You can't convince me that there haven't been... Like, there hasn't been something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, for all you listening, and, and myself and Katie and I, we are holding out hope that the current owners will sell the house and the new owners will be a lot more groovy. <laughs> more groovy. Want to share some of the some of the secrets of this place. Yeah. You know, crack the, crack the story open. Yeah. Make uh, some money off of us. It's fine. I also wanted to note that the, um, uh, the Warrens investigated this house mm-hmm. as well and, and the the house actually makes a brief appearance in i believe it is the second conjuring it may have been the third conjuring movie but Don't uh, remember the I opening was, i think it might have been the third the opening of that one of those movies takes place um with the warrens yeah investigating. Ed and Warren. yeah they didn't have honestly they didn't have a huge influence in this story which is why i didn't feel the need to include them like i of course did with the conjuring right house. they had a very very large part yes. to play in this or that, excuse me. Um, but that's really going to do it. That's really all I have for you this week, everyone. Um, we hope you enjoyed listening. And before we go, I would like to remind everyone to consider following us on social media at Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast. And I also would like to invite you to follow us on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. And real quick, before I run out of steam here, <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention some of the sources I used for this week. Um, so, of course, we have the Amityville Horror, both the movie and the novel, written by Jay Anson. We also have The Devil I Know, My Haunting Journey with Ronnie DeFeo and the True Story of the Amityville Murders by Jackie Barrett. I would absolutely recommend that. That sounds good. And lastly, The Real Life Amityville Horror by Douglas Lenat. And that is everything we have for you this week. Do you have anything to add? I don't. Well, that was a good story. Thank you. And Mm -hmm. thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.